Take your Bibles out this morning, if you would please, and turn with me uh, back to Matthew chapter 5 as we continue our series on the Sermon on the Mount. Now, you'll notice this morning, it is our plan to close out that section of the Sermon on the Mount known as the Beatitudes. You'll notice on your sermon notes page, it's message number 7, and yet there are eight Beatitudes, and that's because a few weeks back we combined two of the Beatitudes. So we're looking this morning at the final one of the Beatitudes, and you'll notice the emphasis Jesus gives to it as he expands on it. After he states it in verse 10, he expands further on it in verse 11. I want us to look this morning at the topic, when being a Christian hurts. Would you stand please for the reading of God's word? Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Father, we thank you for these beatitudes and the reminder that they are to us of the inward character that you desire those in your family to have. And the daily transformation that you desire to do in us. And Lord, as we live out these beatitudes, we will see next that we will be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. So Lord, I pray that we would be mindful of these issues day in and day out and we would examine our hearts to see if these are qualities reflected in our lives. Lord, give the church strength for these days that we live in, challenging days as we witness in a culture more and more the secularization of America. God, give us strength to stand strong, to be a voice for you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I want to challenge you sometimes to peruse through some Christian bookstores and look at some of the best-selling titles that are out there. It's astonishing how many of these titles are all about you and me. How to be better at this, how to be more successful at this, how to feel good about such and such. You would almost think we were attending some business seminar on HR issues and it was lunchtime and they had opened the bookstore for self-help type material. Folks, it's sad the dearth of biblically solid books that we're producing today. Now such would be the example with our text this morning. I don't recall that I have ever seen a recent book inviting God's people to endure persecution. Now don't get me wrong, there's lots of books on suffering, which in a broad sense could cover this topic as well, but how many books have you seen recently telling the modern day church that she must 
That is, if she follows Jesus, suffer persecution. And yet that's exactly what the most important book of all times, the Bible, says. Listen to what Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3. He says, you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my practice, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, and yet from them all the Lord delivered me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Now folks, do you follow Paul's logic there to Timothy? He's telling Timothy that the world is going to go from bad to worse as time goes on. Now imagine that as mankind gets more sophisticated in just about every area of his life, he's also going to grow more sophisticated and educated in the ways that he can commit sin. There's not too awfully many post-millennialists around today, though I've got to admit their position is enjoying some degree of a resurgence. But post-millennialism, maybe to oversimplify a, a bit, basically said the church is going to do such a wonderful job on the face of the earth with the Great Commission that we are going to usher in the kingdom of God. And when Jesus comes back for his church, we are going to be the ones who are going to give him the world all nicely wrapped up with a pretty bow. The 20th century with all its wars and atrocities just about did away with post-millennialism. Paul tells Timothy the world's not going to get better and better. It's going to get worse and worse. And evil men are going to wax worse and worse. And he says, Timothy, because of that, you as a Christian will be called upon from time to time to suffer. In fact, Timothy, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now, if I were to ask you this morning, do you want to be a godly man? Do you want to be a godly woman? I would expect just about every hand in this place this morning to, to go up. Because after all, where are we? We're in church. And that's what we're supposed to be, right? Well, if your hand would be one of those to go up, Paul says you will suffer persecution. Some unbeliever who doesn't accept the inspiration of Scripture might object and say, well, that's just the Apostle Paul talking. Maybe he didn't get a good night's sleep before he wrote this. I want to know what Jesus says about this topic. Okay, I'll tell you what Jesus said about it. John 15, he said, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. 
Now that brings us to our text for the day. Jesus pronounces a blessing upon all of those who suffer for his name's sake. We see today that there is a particular kind of suffering. There is a particular kind of persecution that is blessed by God. And that's what I want us to look at. First of all, I want you to notice there is a blessing from God upon those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Now, folks, I want you to understand that is a very important distinction to make. Because not all persecution is going to be blessed by God. But Jesus is talking about a kind of persecution that is blessed by God. The book of 1 Peter is loaded with illustrations about this. I want to read those passages to you. I've given to them to you in print this morning. Follow along with me. Peter writes in 1 Peter 3, Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you're slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. And then in chapter 4, Peter writes, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Now what do those texts point out? Those texts point out that there is a noble context to suffering and there is a not-so-noble context to suffering. Some people suffer simply because they're always stirring up strife, always stirring up grief or gossip among their friends and family. Or maybe at work, they're always trying to start something. They're looking for something to whine about or complain about. Folks, there is nothing particularly noble about suffering and persecution that occurs in those particular contexts. You may only be getting what you've asked for. 
Jesus isn't talking about seeking or inviting the wrong kind of persecution. He says here that there will be blessing in the believer's life when you and I suffer for righteousness' sake. One of the peculiarities of a believer's life is that his or her life can oftentimes bring conviction and hostility from an unbelieving world. Folks, have you noticed the mass mentality that that has been created in the world today? What does the world want? The world wants sameness. Everybody having the same values and saying the same thing and the same worldview. And so you have a believer who comes along and doesn't mesh with that. And there can be problems. Somebody comes along and says, no, I'm not going to go along just simply to get along. And the crowd's not cool with that. You see, in a couple of verses, Jesus is going to say, you and you alone are the salt of the earth. Now, folks, what does salt do? If you pour salt into a wound, what happens? It causes a burning. It causes a stinging. And sometimes that's the effect that you and I as believers are going to have in an unbelieving age. That is, if we stand upon our faith. Now I think a word's in order here though. I don't think Jesus is talking about those who get up in the morning, they eat their breakfast, they get ready for work, they leave, they, they lock their door, get in their car, and, and they, they drive out of the driveway that morning and they've got their religion on their shirt sleeve and they're going out into the public eye that morning simply with the purpose so that they can be offensive. That's not what Jesus is talking about. The gospel is going to be an offense in and of itself if we live it out. He's not calling on us to be offensive just to be offensive. Jesus is instead speaking of somebody who has become so different inside. I mean, look back at these Beatitudes. They're poor in spirit. They, they mourn over their sin. They're meek. They hunger and thirst for righteousness. They're, they're merciful. They're pure in heart. They're peacemakers. Just by living out the Beatitudes, they are so different inside, they will just naturally, or maybe I should say supernaturally, they're going to be different than everybody else around them. And not everybody's going to like that. They're not trying to rub it in anybody's face. But there's just something about their life. When they get around unbelievers... They might not be invited to any more office parties. Because they didn't get involved in the crude jokes and the language. Some of you have experienced this. The next step may be the boss telling you, as is again growing more and more common today. I notice you have a Bible sitting on your desk in your office. I'm going to ask you to remove that. And if you don't remove that, you might find yourself being pushed out the door and being told, you know what, you don't represent this company's values anymore. Now 
Now, folks, here's a person hasn't walked into the office that morning, looked at everybody and said, you bunch of pagans, you're going to die and go to hell if you don't repent. They've not done that. But again, just their life is different. And they're persecuted for righteousness' sake. Now, also, don't let me suggest that Jesus is only speaking of the persecution you and, you and I might receive from being a silent witness. Because there is certainly a time, there's certainly a place to be vocal. Now, contrary to what some would want to hear today, there's indeed a point at which Christians need to exercise more of a prophetic voice. In fact, I think one thing today that's happening to us is we're becoming too silent. We're becoming too accommodating, and we're all but losing our prophetic voice as a church. Now, I realize there are some that say, Pastor, no, we just need to look for positive solutions to reach people. And I agree with that. We need to find positive solutions as a church to reach this age in which we live. But folks, at the same time, we dare not lose our prophetic voice as believers. One of my favorite stories in the Old Testament, it's a humorous story, it's about a guy named Micaiah. It's found in 1 Kings 22. The king of Judah, a guy by the name of Jehoshaphat. How do you like some of those Old Testament names? Any sons out there named Jehoshaphat? I doubt it. But anyway, Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went to see Ahab, the king of Israel. Now remember, this is the same Ahab that was married to the wicked king Jezebel. And Ahab says to Jehoshaphat, Have you seen how Syria has taken Ramoth Gilead? We need to go back and claim that particular region of our country. We need to get it back from the Syrians. Will you join in battle with me, Jehoshaphat? And Jehoshaphat says, yes, I will. My people will be as your people and my horses as your horses. So they're ready to say, let's go. And then all of a sudden, Jehoshaphat says, wait a minute, let's inquire of the Lord. What, what does the Lord think about all this? Is he going to bless us in this battle? So Ahab says, okay, call in all the prophets. Now, Ahab had surrounded himself with a company of prophets who always told him everything that he wanted to hear. And so all these prophets come in and they're saying, Oh yeah, y'all go to war. The Lord's going to give you victory. And Jehoshaphat says, Is there not a prophet of the Lord left anywhere? And Ahab says, Yeah, yeah there's one guy, but I hate him because he never prophesies good about me. And Jehoshaphat says, go get him. And so they go and get Micaiah. And the servants who are bringing him back say, now Micaiah, all the other prophets are going along. You need to go along with this too. And he says, I'm only going to do what the Lord tells me to do. Well, he gets there and they say, Micaiah, can we go into battle? Is the Lord going to bless him? He's like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Just go and do whatever you've set in your mind to do. And they stop him and they say, no, really, what do you think? We really want to know. 
Jehoshaphat wanted to know. And he tells them what the Lord had revealed to him. And he says, Ahab, I'm telling you this, if you go into battle, you are going to die. And Ahab said, see there, I told you, he never has a good word to say about me. Well, they go on into battle and Ahab says to Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat, you wear all of your regal robes as a king and you ride in your kingly chariot and you lead your army into battle, but I'm going to disguise myself. I'll be right there beside you, but I'm going to be in disguise. So it got Ahab thinking, didn't it? Well, the Bible says a guy shot an error, a a stray error, and it it just kind of coincidentally, yeah, right, it hit Ahab between his armor uh, where he was unprotected, and he realized that there was an error in him, and they had gotten him in his vital organs, and he was bleeding to death, and he was going to die, and he told the guy in his chariot, you prop me up in the chariot so the army won't see that, that I'm injured, and, and he continued that day uh, leading his army, but he died, and the Bible says they they took him down to Samaria and they buried him and and they washed out all the blood out of the bottom of his chariot and the dogs licked up his blood. Folks, that was exactly what the prophet Elijah had said would happen to Ahab. Elijah had said that years and years before. You know a problem today? We don't have enough Elijahs and we don't have enough Micaiahs. These were men who wouldn't go along to get along. They were not afraid to speak up and say, Thus saith the Lord. But folks, if God lays on your heart to do something like that, again, just make sure it's God and it's not just you blowing your stack about something. But again, what does the verse say? What does Jesus say here? You will suffer for it. You will be persecuted for it. But God will bless you. I can't help but think here about Chick-fil-A recently. Have you read what's going on with Chick-fil-A recently? The Denver City Council's Business Development Committee has decided to temporarily block Chick-fil-A from being able to have a restaurant in the Denver International Airport since the airport is city-owned. They're blocking Chick-fil-A simply because Chick-fil-A believes in biblical values and biblical marriage. And so there's a temporary block. Now the city council is scheduled this week to open back up debate and to vote on on this issue. But now look at Chick-fil-A. They're not out there in the public doing all sorts of things to stir up trouble. Basically they're minding their own business. They're making chicken sandwiches and they're simply saying what they believe if they're asked. And here's a board saying, you're not welcome in our city and you're not welcome in our airport. Folks, that's what Jesus is talking about here. And you and I are going to see more and more this very type thing happening. 
And so whether vocal or not vocal, I think we're going to see more and more persecution. That is, if we remain true to the Scripture. Folks, these are strange days that we're living in. I don't have to tell you that. You see it in the headlines every week. And sadly, the church is just becoming more and more accommodating to it all. I was thinking this week about, I told you last week about Kevin Seeger and I going to Canada last week to check out a, a, a mission uh, site. Have you heard what's going on in the Canadian church recently? Another story in the news recently. The Canadian United Church that's been so caught up in theological liberalism and cultural compromise that they'll even tell you there that the, the church really doesn't believe anything anymore. They've got a pastor that they're trying to figure out, are we going to do anything with her or not? Her name's Greta. She's been ordained since 1993. She's an atheist. She's one of their pastors, and she's an atheist. Folks, this isn't made up. You can go on, you can, you can research it and find all about Greta. Since 1993, she's been ordained in the Canadian United Church, and everybody's been fine with her being their pastor, even though she's an atheist. But in more recent years, what's disturbed everybody, she's decided in their Sunday morning liturgy, they're no longer going to say the Lord's Prayer. Now, they've got up in arms about that. And 100 of the 150 members of her church have walked out the door. And the Canadian United Church is trying to figure out, what do we do with this woman or not? Like some are saying, just leave her in place. An atheist who's a pastor. Sad times that we're living in. Sad times that we're living in. And so, folks, brace yourself. Be strong in the Lord. Realize that you and I, the culture that we live in today, is a culture that Paul says to Timothy, all who live godly lives in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But, but again, Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Second thing I want you to see this morning. The persecution of the righteous will be words as well as deeds. Maybe I should say it, it, it will be in the form of words as well as deeds. Look in the text here in verse 11 where Jesus says, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Look at those words again. Revile and cast insults and say all manner of evil against you. It is a litany of words all of which refers to, to, to the disciple being objects of ridicule ridicule, curses, mocking, and insults. The world will take aim and hurl every derogatory phrase imaginable in the direction of the one who doesn't bow the knee to the world's agenda. And again, we're seeing this today. 
If you and I don't go along with the world's agenda, what are we called? We're called bigots or being intolerant. Remember what they said of the Lord Jesus. They said, behold, a gluttonous man and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and prostitutes. Folks, if they said things like that against the one who's the very Son of God, the sinless Son of God, what in the world are they going to say about you and me? If they said it against Him, they'll say it against you. I'm reminded of how at the crucifixion of Jesus, His enemies hurled all sorts of insults at Him. They mocked Him, and at His trial, they even found men willing to be false witnesses of the very One who's the Savior of the world. Even as He was dying on the cross and shedding His blood for the sins of the world, some were there hurling insults at Him. Perhaps some of you have experienced hurtful words hurled in your direction by those who are angry at you and they're angry for no other reason than the fact that you are a believer. You've been called all sorts of names. Perhaps you've even had to bear lies and falsehood. More and more of our people in this congregation tell me of the challenges that they are beginning to face in the workplace simply for naming the name of Christ. No other reason than that. John MacArthur writes, Faithfulness to Christ may even cause friends and loved ones to say things that cut and hurt deeply. Several years ago, he writes, I received a letter from a woman who told of a friend who had decided to divorce her husband for no just cause. She just wanted to run off with somebody else. The friend was a professed Christian, but when she was confronted with the truth that what she was doing was scripturally wrong, she became defensive and hostile to those who were trying to minister to her. MacArthur goes on later to say, looking at this passage here, we live in a day when the church more than ever before is engaged in self-glorification and an attempt to gain worldly recognition that must be repulsive to God. When the world is pleased with the church, we can be sure that God is not. Notice what Jesus says here. He pronounces a double blessing. Look at the first blessing. In verse 10 he says, For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now notice folks, that was the blessing attached to the very first beatitude and now it is the blessing attached to the last beatitude. Forming brackets for all eight uh, beatitudes and undoubtedly it, it illustrates to us that these are the type of people that Jesus is saying are not of this world. A Christian is not of this world. He's been born again. He's changed. He's got a different kind of character. And he may not always be at home in the world. He may not always be loved by the world. But Jesus is saying, take heart for his is the kingdom of heaven. 
It's a reminder to us that you and I as believers on this earth aren't to get too used to home here because God is preparing something better for us. We're to be like Abraham who is looking for that city whose builder and maker is God. And then look at the second blessing here. Jesus says, Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. Not only is the kingdom of heaven uh, your possession, but also your reward there is going to be great. And so he says, Rejoice and be glad. The words he used mean literally to exalt, to rejoice greatly, to be overjoyed. The literal meaning is to skip and jump with happy excitement. Now, folks, imagine that. When you're insulted for the sake of Christ, when you are falsely spoken of for His sake, when you are cursed and reviled for His sake, Jesus says you need to jump for joy. Rather than hiding your face or being ashamed, He says you need to jump and skip for joy. When somebody curses you because of your Christianity. Look finally at the words here that he says, For so they persecuted the prophets that were before you. I want you to turn with me over to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. I want to read something to you here about about those of of the Old Testament. The Old Testament saints... When Jesus says, so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Pick up reading with me in verse 32. In Hebrews 11, he says, And what more shall I say? For time will fail me to tell of Gideon or Barak or Samson or Jephthah or David or Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms and forced justice obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped from the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. You know who I think of? I think of that Iranian pastor. An American Christian pastor locked up in Iran simply because of his faith. He he goes on here to say they were stoned, they were sawn in two. That would be speaking of Isaiah the prophet. Sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. Folks, that day may come to us. I hope not. I hope not. But it might. Do you realize that missiologists tell us that there are more Christians who have been persecuted and martyred for their faith In the last century, the 20th century, more Christians around the world have given their lives for the sake of Christ than in all the previous 19 centuries of church history. I think of the early church. 
Here was Nero, the Roman emperor. And as is commonly believed with historians, Nero wanted to go on a massive rebuilding project of Rome. He wanted to clear out all of the less desirable areas and all of the slums of Rome. So he gave the order simply to have those areas burned down. Well, when all fingers pointed to Nero, all of a sudden he needed scapegoats. So guess who became his scapegoats? Christians. He started feeding them to the lions and other wild beasts. He would take them and he would dip them in a tar-like substance, tie them up on poles, stake them up in his beautiful gardens and light them on fire so his gardens could be lit at night. That's how the early Christians in the first century were treated. Simply for following Jesus Christ as Lord. Maybe you heard the story of Polycarp. Polycarp was a disciple of the Apostle John. The same John that wrote the Gospel of John and the book of Revelation in 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. Polycarp was a disciple of John and he became the Bishop of Smyrna. Well, in this attempt to round up Christians and put them to death, somebody said we need to go after Polycarp. And everybody loved Polycarp because he was such an aged, godly man. Even unbelievers respected Polycarp. But they said, we've got to round him up. So his captors went after him. And when they found him, they were ashamed that they had captured him, but they still had to do what they said what they had to do. And so they brought him back and they put him on trial. And the Roman leader said, Polycarp, you need to go into the... Roman temple and you need to say Caesar is Lord and you need to burn incense to Caesar and offer sacrifice to Caesar and serve all of the Roman and the Greek gods and turn away from Jesus. And he said, I won't do it. Eighty and six years, my Lord Jesus has stood with me and never once has he forsaken me. And I am not about to now forsake him. And they said, Polycarp, if you don't, we'll kill you. He said, do what you must. They said, Polycarp, also you need to say away with the atheist. Christians were called atheists because we wouldn't serve the Roman and Greek gods. You need to say away with the atheist. And so when they brought him into the amphitheater that day and told him to renounce Christ and he said no... He, he looked at that multitude of unbelievers screaming out for him to be put to death. And he said, yes, away with the atheist. Speaking of them. And they lit the fire and they burned him to death. Folks, when you and I look at the history of Christianity and we look at the history of our Old Testament, what's Jesus saying here? 
When Jesus says, blessed are you when men persecute you for righteousness sake, blessed are you when they revile you and say all kinds of evil things against you, all we need to do is pick up our Bible and read it. And that's how they treated the prophets. And that's what they did to the apostles. And that's what they did to the Lord Jesus himself. They weren't satisfied till they crucified him. Scripture says all who desire to live godly lives in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. It would be great if our faith was always a picnic, if it were always a party, if it were always some glorious event of celebration. But there are times in the world your Christianity might hurt. Might be in the classroom. Might be in the workplace. When it happens, you and I need to realize Jesus says, Blessed are you for yours is the kingdom of heaven and great is your reward in heaven. Church, you and I need to remain strong. These are not days for the church to cower behind its walls and not take our witness out there because there is a lost world that is dying and going into an eternity without Christ. And he has placed you and me here for such a time as this to try to do something about it. And if you think everybody's going to like you or go along with you, you got another thing coming. But may we be like the apostles in the book of Acts chapter 4. When they were told to quit preaching about Jesus, they told the authorities, you consider what is right, whether we obey men or God. As for us, we are going to obey God. May we follow in their footsteps. Would you pray with me today, please? As we wrap up looking this morning at the Beatitudes, I I trust you can see what a radical change in living they call for. It's a change that can only occur from the inside out. You can't, folks, you can't force these things from the outside in. Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. It's an inward change. Where the Holy Spirit gets a hold of you, changes you, draws you to faith in Christ, and you are born again. You become a new creation in Christ. Has that ever happened to you? Have you been born again? We're also reminded in the Beatitudes the depths to which we need the presence of God to help us in daily life. Even a believer is not going to live out the Beatitudes in his own strength. We need God's help. Ask Him for His help. The Beatitudes also remind us how different God's standards are from man's. 
Are you living for the approval of men or the approval of God? If you're living for the approval of God, then every single one of these Beatitudes needs to be reflected more and more in your life. It's a reminder to us that we have to die daily to self. Related to this morning's beatitude specifically, would it ever be said of you that you're persecuted for righteousness' sake? Folks, I would appeal with each and every one of us, including myself, that we not look so much like the world that the world never opposes us. Jesus said, the servant is not greater than his master. If they did it to him, they'll do it to you. They'll do it to me. I could be speaking to somebody this morning who's going through that at school. Maybe already this week at school, you're persecuted for being a Christian. Maybe somebody going through it at work. Remember, you're in good company. They did it to the prophets. They did it to the apostles. They did it to the Lord Jesus Himself. Rejoice and be glad. Lord, help us to stand out in this culture as Your people. Not to purposely be offensive but Lord, to share the gospel, which is an offense oftentimes. May we be found faithful. Strengthen that one who is hearing these words and they're relating to them because of a situation right now, perhaps, that they're enduring. Lord, help them to be like the Apostle Paul who said, I've kept the faith. I've finished my course. Help them to stay the course. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.